0: And I find it interesting, sometimes we'll talk about different ideas, uh, spiritual, spiritual ideas, different words, different concepts of our relationship with God. Um, some of the words that we'll ta- talk about, you know, we'll talk about the importance of believing in Jesus, the importance of having faith in Jesus. And, and we often use those terms as if they're interchangeable. But, but I want to ask, are they? Is it the same thing to have faith in Jesus as it is to believe in him? Can somebody have belief without having faith. Is, is there a difference? I, I think there is a difference, and, and we're gonna see some of it played out here in the passage that we're gonna be looking at today. But even as the start, I, I wanna give a true life story that I think illustrates something of that difference. You know, through the years, there had been numerous uh, attempts for daredevils to go to the Niagara Falls and to, to make a name for themselves by doing some great stunt However, probably the first great daredevil that really became a national name based on doing something at the falls was a guy named Charles Blondin. Uh, He just called himself the Great Blondin. That's what he was known by. And he gained a great deal of attention in in the 1850s when he started talking about doing something that that everybody at that time considered really practically impossible. He said that he wanted to walk across the falls on a tightrope. And after several years of talking about it and having people kind of, you know, make fun of him for, you know, he can't be done. He actually put his money where his mouth was. And on June 30th, 1989, he ran a 1,300-foot rope across the falls. And then at 5 p.m., he actually walked across that rope with this 30-foot balancing beam and crossed the falls. There were thousands of people that came and paid 25 cents each to watch that effort and and they they cheered and they greeted him as he came across the other side and you know, so this conquering hero. But but he wasn't done. He was a great showman. And he told the crowd that if they came back in a couple days that he would do something even, even greater. And, uh, and over the course of the next days, you know, he would come back and he would, he would add something every day. And so he did things where walking backwards or crossing on a bicycle or crossed on stilts. And yeah, you know, even one time he pushed a wheelbarrow across and it had a little stove on it and he, he, made, he made an egg on the little stove and he ate the egg um, there over the Niagara Falls. But he's no, most remembered for what happened on August 14th, 1959. You see, on the 13th, the day before that, he had just completed one of his most daring crossings. And as he crossed over and he came to the other side, he came to the, the crowd, and they're crying out his name, you know, and, Blondin, and Blondin, and, and, and they're excited. And he held up his hands before the crowd, and he said, he said, tomorrow, and they knew, they quieted down, they knew that was when he would announce the next stunt. And he says, tomorrow, I'm going to do something really amazing. Who believes that tomorrow I can carry a man across the falls on my back? And they cried out, we believe, we believe, Blondin, you know, they were so excited. And he, he continued, and he said, tomorrow it's my intention to carry a man across my back. Now all I need is a volunteer. <laughs> and it was dead silent. You see, there is a huge difference between believing and really having faith. To, re- to think and intellectually agree, and, and that's one thing, to be a part of the cheering crowd, and it's another thing to actually put our, our life on the back of another person and to have faith, to trust our life, our future, to that other person. Now, let's, let me go back to where we started. How does this impact spiritual conversations, our relationship with God? Is it possible to have a belief in Jesus and not have faith? And if we have a belief and not the faith, is that a saving faith? Is that Do we have a relationship with God? Now, we're going to dive into John 12, and it's going to speak on this and other issues this morning. And, and, and again, what I want to mention, though, is that as we dive into it, we're seeing that this is the summation of Jesus' ministry. Uh, John 13, we start and we see that Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper, and the rest of John is just the the night, of his, you know, the night before and the day of his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's everything. His whole ministry is now being summed up here. And in the sum, summation of ministry, Jesus begins to, to speak some things. And John sums up his ministry likewise. And, and it starts by saying that, that part of that summation is there's an expo, uh, exposing of a root of unbelief. Again, in John uh, 12, 35 and 36, Jesus gives this last challenge to the crowd who had been seeing his ministry and heard his teaching. And he said this, The light is amongst you for a little while longer, and while you have the light, lest, uh, walk in the light, uh, lest the darkness overtake you. For the one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. But while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And he's saying basically, believe while you have time. Believe while now there's an opportunity. Respond. And, and after this challenge, we're then told by John, how the people responded. And look what he says the next verse. He says, in spite of this call, in spite of all the evidence that is given, we're told that he had, even though that he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe. Now, why didn't they believe? Look what John says. It's not because of a lack of evidence. It's not because they look at this and there was a lack of evidence that they, that they had reason to not believe. That, what he's saying here is that many people, not only then, but to this day, reject Jesus, not because of a lack of evidence, but in spite of overwhelming evidence to the truthfulness of his claims. Again, verse 37 though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe him. Now, we've seen throughout the Gospel of John that every time that there's a miracle in the Gospel of John, John calls it a sign. It wasn't just a miracle that Jesus did, it wasn't just that there was a need that was met, that he met that need, but he was always doing these things as signs, as signs that point to the true nature of who he is and what he came to do. They were signs that gave testimony of the evidence of the truthfulness of his claims. You know, anybody could say something, anybody could say, I'm God, but only God could actually raise a person from the dead. And so we've seen some of those signs, signs like the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men, likely you know, over 10,000 people. Jesus took a little lunch, you, know, five dinner rolls and a couple small fish, and he blessed it, and he multiplied it so that you know, thousands of people were fed. Why? Because he's saying that as a sign, this is the nature of who I am. I've come to be the one that satisfies the deepest hunger, not only of the body but of the soul or the sign of, the, of his walking on the water in the middle of a, a violent storm, and he's saying, I'm the one who is in control of, of nature. And so when we go through periods of time when we feel like there's, there's, there's a turmoil around us and there's a storm, no, Jesus is the one that is in control of it all. And he's God because only God, the one who created nature, would have that kind of control over nature or the sign where he gave sight to a man born blind, and, and Jesus gave him the ability to see, to see truth, to see reality. And so in the same way, we are spiritually blind by nature, and Jesus gives us the ability. It's a sign telling us who he is and what he came to do, that he gives us the ability to see what's true and what's real. And again, only the creator of, of mankind could give sight to a man who was born blind. It, it gives evidence of the truthfulness of his claims. his claims. And then the ultimate sign, the one right before this, where he raises Lazarus from the dead, he calls out, and this man who had been dead for four days, Jesus gave life, and he not only did that, but he reversed the corruption of death, which tells us an incredible truth about the nature of the gospel. But only God could do that, and they knew that. You see, people were looking at this, and they knew that these signs all confirmed the truthfulness of their claims, and you had these people that were looking there, and they're saying, now we're going to reject him, not because there was a lack of evidence. It isn't that they believed that they looked at it, and they said, well, we're not really convinced. They didn't believe because they didn't want to believe. It's the same reason that people don't believe today. Ultimately, it's not because of lack of evidence. It's because we don't want to believe. We, we have a presupposition against, against what we, we don't want to be true. And we naturally try to explain what we want to be true to be the reality. It, this is always at the source of all a rejection of God, everyone to this day. And it's not just today, it's not just then, it's something throughout history. In fact, uh, you know, there's a, a famous quote of a guy named Blaise Pascal, a famous French philosopher from the 1600s. And he said, people almost inevitably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And there's such truth to that and, you know, in Jesus' day, in the 1600s, and in our day. You know, I find this to be true in, in even an experience in my discussion with unbelievers. You know, they'll argue against Christianity, and they'll usually try to use intellectual arguments to try to make their point about why Christianity isn't true. But what I find is that most of the time, the vast majority of the arguments aren't really questions that they're really looking to discuss. What they are is they're, they're really arguments that are giving intellectual cover to excuse their, their desire to reject God. You see, in reality, they, they're seldom really open to considering evidence. It isn't like, well, here's a problem. If you can answer this question, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be open and I'm going to consider it. I really want to try to know the truth. No, it's, it's, it's really um, uh, no consideration of evidence. I'm, I don't want to see the truth. So let me just throw out here objections because they, again, give intellectual cover. Seldom do I find people that are really open. Um, let me even try to illustrate that, you know, kind of in, in physical terms. It's kind of like, you know, what I'll do is that I'll have people that will come up and they'll, they'll in a sense, they'll, they'll come and they'll say, Well, here's the reason. Here's the wall. Here's the thing that divides me between God. And the, the fact is, is that the main reason I can't accept Christianity is because of this. Maybe they'll come and they'll say, Well, it's because the Bible is filled with contradictions or. Well, and then we'll say, okay, well, let, show me. Okay, where are the contradictions that bother you so much? Well, I can't really think of any. You know, it's amazing. They say that, and they can't think of any. And even if they do, you know, they're, they're answered pretty easily. And we say, well, okay, well, no, that's really not the problem. And, and then they'll say, well, that's not the real reason. You know, here's another reason. The real reason that I can't accept Christianity is, this is the thing. This is the, this is the wall. You know, the Bible has been translated all these times, and it's unreliable, and it's like the phone, and, you know, it's just a book of myths, and Okay, well, let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about how the Bible's translated, and it's really not been copied many times, and if you understand how translations work, and, and, and it's not just myths. If you actually look at it, the Bible is incredibly historical. It actually is written in his historical book, and we can measure it up against what we know, and it always proves reliable, and, and so the fact is I can answer those questions. And what happens? They just come up with another. Well, it's really about science. You know, here's the, here's the real reason, and the thing is, is that, because I believe in evolution, and the Bible creates creation, and, and um, okay, well, let's talk about that, and we can talk about it and say, well, okay, you know, if you really are open, you know, there's far more evidence for creation. Science is far more consistent with creation, if you believe that's possible, and, and so what happens, we start to knock that down, and you know what happens is that I start to answer those questions, then it's almost like they'll come back to me, and they'll say, um, well, well, let me, look, You know, there's another reason that I know that Christianity isn't true. And as soon as I think of it, I'll let you know. But that's the real reason that I you know, reject Christianity. And it's never like when they look at that and they say, we've answered that question, that question. Well, Well, maybe I need to reconsider it. I seldom hear that. What it is, is it's always going and looking for something new. Now, I know that I'm exaggerating that a little bit, but not that much. But the problem is, is that generally, in my experience, seldom do you have people that are really open, that are really saying, I want the evidence, and I'm looking at the evidence, and I wanna make the decision that is most consistent with what's real and what's true. What you have is people saying, I know what the answer is, I know what it wants to be, and I'm trying to somehow build up the arguments that are consistent, that provide intellectual cover for what I wanna be true. And here's even, as you've talked with people like that, you know, I've, I've shared this before, one of the things that I've learned to ask them is at times So I'll start to answer questions, I'll say, well, let me ask this question. If I were able to prove beyond a doubt that Christianity were true, would you believe and would you become a Christian? And usually they have a hard time responding to that because the fact of the matter is, is it is just intellectual cover. And I said, well, let's, let's remove that. If I could prove it to be true, and here's why I ask that question, because at the core, it's a heart issue. It's not a mind issue for many people. And so I ask this question because I'm trying to expose the heart. If I could prove it to be true, would you submit to Christ? And, and if not, if you can't answer yes right away, then you've got to realize your real issue isn't the mind, it's your heart. Now, even it's interesting, uh, you, know, you hear a lot about young adults that are, go off to college and come from a church and they leave church. And even in this, I find, that as I've talked to people repeatedly, that, you know, that it's usually not really, well, I was convinced by my professor. You know what usually happens? A lot of times, our rejection is based more on our morality of what we want to be true. I, I remember hearing uh, Tim Keller, pastor up in, in New York, talk about this, and he, he shared that after talking to all these students who had you know, would come back and they would say, well, I'm leaving my faith. He's, after talking to him, he says, now I've, I realize the first question I was asked him, they'll tell me I'm losing my faith. And I'll say, well, so when did you stop, or when did you start sleeping with your girlfriend? Because he said, what I realized is it always was driven by morality. It was saying, I'm going to college and I want to I leave my Christian morality. And then I find a teacher that gives me intellectual cover to be able to explain so that I don't feel that bad about doing it. Again, it proves what Pascal is true. The people almost inevitably arrive at their beliefs not based on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And so when we look at this, we've got to say, now I, w- I want to say that there may be some people here that you aren't a believer, that you reject it, and you argue, and you're offended by what I'm saying. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you, have you really ever openly considered it? And if I were able to convince you, would you believe? And if you are willing to openly consider it, I'm I'm willing, I'm glad to get in that discussion with you. Let's have an honest discussion. I'll be honest and listen to you, and I hope that you're honest and will listen to me. Have you ever really listened, you know, have you ever really seriously considered the Christian claims? And if you were convinced, would you believe, or is the real issue not an intellectual one, but, but is it ultimately a heart issue? And in that I want to give a warning. You see, and there's a warning right here, and there's a warning about if we reject God, if we're close to him, then there's a warning about a hardening of our hearts. Look in verse 40, and John quotes this verse from Isaiah, and it could almost seem you know, difficult to understand at first. He says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Now we have to ask, what is he saying there? Is it saying that God is the source of the hardening of heart, that you have people that are, that are open and that God hardens them so that God is responsible for their rejection of him? Well, no, you've got to read the whole of the Bible because the Bible, you know, first rule of the Bible is Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you read the whole of the Bible, this makes a whole lot of sense. Here's what it's teaching. The whole of the Bible teaches that in the beginning God created and everything was good and we had this perfect relationship with God. We had a perfect relationship, not only with God, but with each other and with the world. But over time then, when we rejected God, when we chose sin, it not only broke our relationship with God, but it broke our relationship with everyone else. And so that we become spiritually dead. And so the whole image, again, the sign of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And when he called out Lazarus, Lazarus didn't come because he liked the sound of Jesus' voice. It wasn't like, well, you convinced me that I'm going to come out. No, he called them out, and he was raised from the dead because he heard the power of Jesus' voice, and by his power, Jesus gave him life. See, that's what the gospel does. It speaks life to that which is dead. And what happens is that if we don't respond to Jesus' call, then what is dead continues to become more dead. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. Look what he says in Romans 1. He says, you know, this, this, this heart of this, the person, a picture of, the, of our heart when we reject God. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him. Why? Because we want to be our own God. So although we knew it, we, we, don't, want to, we don't want to, our desire is to be our own God. So we believe what we want to believe, that we're not accountable to a higher being, to a, a creator who, who has a moral call upon our lives. So therefore, what happens? they become futile in their thinking, and foolish. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So when we reject God, the darkness of our heart becomes more dark. Claiming to be wise, claiming that we have all the answers, we become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and mammals and creeping things. The heart is already dark though. What we've gotta realize is it's, it's not saying that there are good people or neutral people and that God makes us hard, He's saying, No, that if we have heart, that hearts that are dark that are rejecting God, and then God gives us a call, and we sit there and we say, No, I don't want that. Although I see God, I don't acknowledge Him as God. And then what happens is that God allows us to go down the, further down the path that we've chosen, allowing the natural consequences of that choice. So it continues. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of the hearts to impurity and to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. And that's basically what happens. It's not that God hardens a soft heart, but when we reject God, he gives us over to the choices that we make. And we become hardened in our blindness, hardened in our rejection of him. Here's an application. There may be some here today that you know that God is calling and you're here, and you're struggling, and are you going to surrender to God? Are you going to to respond to his call? And and you're struggling with that. And and sometimes I'll talk to people, and I want to know that God is calling, but I want to go down this path for a little while longer, and maybe one day I'll I'll respond back. And now here I want you to see a warning. God warns us of this. We cannot do that because we don't know how long we will go down that path before our heart, heart becomes hardened that you have a sensitivity that you're hearing God's call now. Respond while you hear it. Respond, as Jesus said earlier, respond while the light is there in front of you. Because if not, you may become hardened in that darkness. And you may not have that same sensitivity sometime in the future. So here is this call, and, and Jesus is saying that, okay, that's not only... You know, there's this danger of, of, of seeing, but yet not believing, but it's not only those who, who don't believe, but it's possible to have belief and still not really have relationship with God, to have an empty belief that, that lacks true faith. Look at verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, many, many even the, of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So here it's saying that there were many, even even those in positions of authority, who did believe in the sense that they saw the signs and they were intellectually convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God, that the signs were true, and they agreed with that. Intellectually, they believed, but it was a belief that didn't convert to action because what John says is for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And here's what it's saying is while they believed, they didn't have faith because their faith was in the promises of the world. Their faith was ultimately in you know, the promises of if you reject this, you know, then we're going to do this. Or if you accept Christ, you're going to lose this. And and they believed the promises of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders, of the world more than they believed the promises of Jesus Christ. They were more convinced that following the world would lead to a path of blessing than they were convinced that the path of following Jesus would lead to blessing. You see, I think if we put it in, this, in our context, these are people that come to church on Sunday morning, and they sing songs of worship, and they go to Bible studies, and they affirm all the right biblical beliefs. And then we go home on Monday, and and it seems as if we've left our, church at the, our faith at the church door. We have belief, but it's not a faith that actually trans, uh, translates into the way that we act, not only on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all, through, all throughout the week. They had a faith, a belief about Jesus Christ, but not a faith, so that they put their trust in other things other than Jesus Christ, and we do the same things. And when we do it, what happens is that's, that's when our belief is just the religious part of our life. It's, it's the church part of our life. It's what we believe, but it's not the center of what we, our faith, of our trust it defines us. In reality, we always put our faith in something else. It's, I don't do this because I think I will be happier doing that. I, I, I put my faith in the world and its promises. I put my faith in the threats and, and risks of, you know, what if I believe and what will happen? And we do the same thing. And we've got to say, okay, what is it that scares us? What is it that we believe more than we believe in Jesus Christ? If your, if your belief is just a Sunday morning belief, I want you to see that you have a belief, but not a faith. Why? Because true faith, the Bible says, always expresses itself in action. You see, if I really, if I really have faith, it's not only that I affirm that it's true, but because it's true, because it's the ultimate truth, it's because it's, God's promises are more true than anything else. Therefore, I act on them. I I act as if they are true. That's what faith means. That I don't just sit there on the sidelines and say, I believe. No, I'm going to get on the back and I'm going to go across because I really, really believe. The Bible says this throughout. Look what it says in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's believe and confess, and what is the confessing? It's not only that I believe, but then I say it with my mouth, that I say it with my words, for with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, with our heart we believe, but if we have a true belief, it will always express itself through our words and through our actions. And if it doesn't, we don't have a true faith. We have an intellectual belief, but not a saving faith and we are saved by faith, not just belief. Do you have a faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have that kind of relationship? Now, what's amazing here is that Jesus, we see John kind of exposes these negative reactions, these incomplete reactions to Jesus, and and then we have at the very end, Jesus comes back and he says, well, this is what true faith is. In fact, as we look at uh, John 36, you know, we talked about that, you know, that that he talked about this, you know, I'm the light. And then it says in the end of 36 that when he said these things, he departed and hid themselves from them. And that's interesting is that it talks about he hid himself from them. And then in 44, it says, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now, I don't think that Jesus came out from hiding and made this last statement. I think that Jesus had withdrawn from the people. And John is now saying, this is the last thing. This is what he's calling not only them, but he's calling us to. This is the challenge that he's giving us about the true nature of faith and he sums up what that faith is and he says first of all faith is accepting Jesus as savior and as god it's embracing him look at again verse 44 and Jesus cried out and said whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me and whoever sees me uh, or see, see, sees him uh, sees me sees him who sent me and here's what he's saying, and I'll talk to people that will at times say, "Well, you know, I believe in Jesus. I don't really believe in Jesus or in this, but but I have a good relationship with God. I don't go to church, but me and my, you know, my here's here I'm spiritual." And what Jesus is saying is really clear here: the only way for you to have a relationship with God is to have a relationship with Jesus. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you do not have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, who has come, and it is only through Jesus Christ that we can have any relationship with God. It's only through him that we can know him. And if you come and you say, well, I, I think that, you know, that, I, you know, that I'm, I'm spiritual. and No, it's only through Jesus. And not only that, but look what he says. It's then, how do we know that we know him? And he's very clear. He says the only way that we know that we know him is by accepting Who he has revealed himself to be in the Bible. The only way to accept him is by submitting to his teaching. Look at verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I do not come to judge uh, the world, but to save the world. Now he talks about this idea of light, and it's it's one of the themes throughout the gospel of John. It's in John 1, It's in John three, and look at John three. It talks about the same idea, and and this is in John three nineteen. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. He's saying we have this natural tendency to see the light, who exposes truth. He's the one that gives sight to those who are blind, and as we see the the truth, we see the truth not only about what's true and what's right and about God's holiness, but about our sinfulness and how far we fall short. It exposes our brokenness. And for many of us, our natural response is, while well, it exposes the truth. I want to hide the brokenness. I want to continue. And so I reject the light because I don't like what it exposes. And that's the natural response. And what does it talk about here about, well, if you reject me, I didn't come to judge. And, well, here's what it's saying. See, the light comes and exposes our need, but it exposes our need not to condemn us, but to invite us to say, okay, here's the need, and if you, don't, if you don't get right with God, one day there will be a judgment. But Jesus comes to expose our need to invite us to his grace, to his forgiveness. His ministry, and, and our call is not one of, you know, you've fallen short, you're condemned, God hates you. No, it's, no, let me tell you about God's grace We've all fallen short, but God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven, and he offers us this grace. You know what happens if we reject that grace? That light that exposed our need to draw us towards God now, if we reject it, now it exposes our, our, our need, our fallenness, and our rejection of Christ so that it now condemns us for we already stand condemned. Look at verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. A rejection of these truths will, reject, will judge us. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, uh, has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Here's what he's saying is when we look at this, we've got to look at not only what Jesus is saying, how he's revealed himself, but we realize that the only way to accept God is to accept not only Jesus, the Jesus we want to think of, but the Jesus that has revealed himself in the Bible. You know, I'll talk to people all the time who will tell me something about, you know, well, the Jesus that I believe in wouldn't do this, or the Jesus that I believe would do this, and, and they'll talk to me about their own opinions about Jesus, and, and I'll say, well, well, if you believe that kind of Jesus, well, t- where does that where does that come from? You know, why do you believe that kind of Jesus? What, well, where does it come from? And, and you know, they, well, that's just what I believe. Well, is it in the Bible? No, it's just what I believe. I think that's the kind of Jesus. And, and what you realize is that often what you have is you have so many people. We have our own idea of Jesus, but it's not a Jesus that has revealed himself in the Bible, but it's a Jesus that we've created in our own mind. And what the Bible teaches, and we've seen throughout the whole gospel of John, is that there is one Jesus, and it's the Jesus of history, that that Jesus has revealed himself in the Bible. And the only way to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God is to have the relationship with the Jesus of the Bible. Anything else is a Jesus that we're making up. It's a Jesus that comes from our own desires and our own mind and our own convictions and And what we realize is that when we have that, that's not a personal relationship with another being. With the Jesus it is. That's a a relationship with yourself. I have a relationship with my own projection of what I want God to be. I'm, I'm just relating to my own ideas, my own conviction, my own desires. Not the God who is. The only way to have a relationship with God is to have a relationship with God as he's revealed himself in his word to submit to him, to call out to him, to to obey him, to to let him change us, to let him be light that, yes, exposes our need, but that also exposes his invitation of grace. To respond not only with a belief that we think that it's right, but to go beyond that belief and have a faith that literally commits ourselves to him fully. The crowds had been gathering almost every day. And they came out as they saw the great blonde and day after day cross that tightrope, and they would cry out to him. And, and and it all came to that climax on that day where he had come over and, and he drew the crowd into them and he said, Well, who believes that tomorrow I can carry a man across my back on this tightrope? And they responded with enthusiasm, Yeah, we believe, you can do it, we believe, yeah, we we believe. And and after quieting the crowd, and he responded back, now Anita is a volunteer. And it became quiet because they realized that while they believed, they had intellectual assent, they really didn't have faith. They didn't have the faith to actually put their lives on the back of this other man because it's one thing to believe, it's another thing to have faith. And what happened was, was really interesting. Then you know, he called and nobody responded. And then Blondin went to a friend of his, his promoter, a guy named Harry uh, Col- Colkert, and, and this guy had helped him think through this idea, and he looked at him and said, you thought this was a good idea. Do you believe? Do you have faith? And he talked to this guy, and, and he agreed, this guy agreed that he was going to do it. And they made this harness, and he, he rode on the back. And, and what's interesting is that he told him, now, when you get on my back, you've got to realize that as we're going, if you feel yourself leaning to one side, you cannot correct. You've got to be dead weight. You've got to trust me to make all the corrections. If you try to do it on your own, we're going to both fall. You've got to let me be the one, have total faith in in me. And then that day, on August 14th, he made history, and he carried this man across the tightrope, uh, considered one of the greatest daredevil stunts of all time. But it calls us to look at and to say, okay, where are we? And where are we today? There might be some that were saying, I don't believe, I I have doubts, and well, I'm going to challenge you, okay, do you you reject the claims of Christ because you really looked at them? Or are you just making intellectual arguments to to give intellectual cover to what you want to believe? Are you really willing to search deeply? If you are, please, I'm willing to have that conversation with you. I'm willing to listen. Come and, and be intellectually honest. But for many, we may be there and and we're sitting there, we're maybe more like the people in the crowd. We believe, we're crying out, and we do believe. Intellectually, we think that Jesus came and, and he died on the cross, and, and we believe. And, but are we just the people in the crowd that when Jesus said, okay, now who's going to have faith in me and get on my back, that we become silent? Is our, is our belief just on Sunday morning that we sit there and we cry out in the songs that we sing and the theology that we proclaim and it's what we believe there, but we don't have the faith to really trust him Monday through Saturday. We don't have the faith to really say, Christ, I'm, I ask you to, to not only forgive me, but to change me, to transform me. I give you the right to be my Lord and my King. Do you have the faith to get on his back? You see, the closing question is simply this. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, not only as your Savior, that you believe that he can, and he asked to pray, but as God? That you've truly trusted him as Savior and God, that you've trusted your future to him? You see, he invites each one of us to, to do that today. There may be some of us where we've done that in the past, but over the time, you know, we start to, I'm taking control, I'm trying to fix this, I'm trying, my friends, even for those who have done that in the past, there might be a time that we need to resurrender and say, God, I'm getting off the back and I'm, I'm trying to do it on my own, and you know, true faith in Jesus Christ isn't just that he loves me and that he died for me and that he knows what's best for my life, and it's not that just that I believe those things, I, I have faith that I trust. Jesus Christ, I trust you with my life. And he invites each one of us to do that today. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.